Hey, welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, Ministry of Greater Worship Christian Church in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Apostle Robert Enos. This is where we talk about the issue the church faces and how the church should respond to those issues. Here we will talk about doctrine, theology, politics, social and cultural issues, and how the church is to deal with these things. So get ready for a large dose of truth and get ready for the tables to be flipped. Here at Table Flippers, table flipping is what we do. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, friends and family, in-laws and outlaws, all you wonderful people. Even the people that don't really care for me, I just want to say hello, and I do honestly appreciate all of you tuning in and listening to these podcasts. You know, um, I've really been having a great time with these podcasts, and one of the things that I really appreciate is the feedback, even, yes, the negative feedback, although I do appreciate the positive feedback as well. The reason I appreciate the negative feedback is it's kind of funny. I'm just wired the way that when people come against me, when people disagree with me or something, uh, it it fires me up. It encourages me. It energizes me. I know a lot of people, it takes the wind out of their cells, so to speak. But man, it, it, it energizes me. And especially, and please don't misunderstand this when I say this, but especially when I know I'm right. And let me explain to you when I know I'm right when I'm just telling you what the Word of God says, because the Word of God is always right. So if I can base things on the Word of God, and I'm telling you what the Word of God says, and I'm instructing uh, all of us, myself included, on how to live in accordance with the Word of God, then I know I'm right. Not because I'm right, but because God is right and His Word is right. Doesn't mean I, I nail it 100% all the time, but come on, thou shalt not steal, still means that today. Don't steal. If it's not yours, don't take it. How do we know this? Because the Bible says to. So anyways, that's my little pump for myself. So even keep all the the comments coming, please. The positives, the negatives. Find me on Facebook at Rob Enos um, or Apostle Robert Enos. One of those two. You can find me and, uh, you know, drop me a line. Say hello and uh, let me know what you like or don't like about these podcasts. I listen to it all and uh, doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to change, but it's nice to hear what you have to say about it. <laughs> I just have fun with this. My last podcast in season one, episode 17, uh, by the title, The Word of the Lord, that was from chapter three of my book, A Time for Transition. I've been going through my book, not word for word, but just going to touching upon some highlights uh, for, for a number of reasons. Number one, I just believe that this book, when I wrote it, I didn't realize how prophetic it was, not just for the day that I wrote it. It was published in 2017, but I'm beginning to see these truths and these realities needed more and more and more as we get in, you know, politically, governmentally, uh, societally, a church, all of these things. Um, are really, everything's shifting. Everything is in transition. So the way you know you're going to make a positive or righteous transition is to do it God's way. Do it the way the Bible says. And you can glean truth from the Word of God. Um, This book is dealing with, starts with Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and it goes through Samuel, it goes through Saul, it goes through David. And it talks about their life, it talks about the high points, it talks about the low points, and how we can transition from the lower points or the weaker points or just flat sin to righteousness. 
And when we can find these things in Scripture and we can implement them, it works. It always works because God's Word always works. One of the issues that we have today in the modern church is we like to do things our way and it isn't always God's way. Oh yeah, we can find a few verses in the Bible that we can twist and take out of context to justify our actions, our present actions, but it doesn't tell us those don't tell us how to live correctly when we twist them. So we develop our own way of doing things, twist scripture to justify it, and then nothing really works. And that's why the church, at least in America, is shrinking in most places, in most areas, because we're doing things that God never said, told us to do. And we're doing it in a way that God never told us to do it. I'll give you an example. There's this problem of many of our churches today are no longer looking for pastors with theology degrees. They're no longer looking for pastors and church leaders that know the Word of God necessarily. They're looking for pastors and leaders with marketing degrees. Now, I'm not against clever marketing, but what does that have to do with the person that's leading the church? You know, I'm not even against marketing the church, but then hire somebody to do that. Let the pastor lead the people spiritually, teaching, preaching, ministering, building them up, encouraging them. And if somebody wants to come along and say, hey, we want to market this, well, then go market it. Slap a sticker on it, put it on Facebook, and market it. When we push away those with the degrees that can lead us closer to God and teach us what the Word of God says for clever marketing, we've got a huge problem in the body of Christ. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Again, that's not every church, but enough that it's a problem. And one of the biggest problems is some of those churches are growing by leaps and bounds, to which many who don't understand what's going on behind the scenes go, that's a good thing. No, it's not a good thing if it's growing for the wrong reasons. And just because you have more people in the church building or that come through the door on Sunday doesn't necessarily mean they're healthy, spiritually speaking, or mature, spiritually speaking. And I'm finding more and more and more that many, not all, please again, don't misunderstand me, but many of our larger, what we might call mega churches in America are very watered down, very weak churches. I mean, think about this. Imagine you have in any given city, uh, let's say you have a city of say 250,000 people. It's not a very big city, but city. And then you have a church of five to 10,000 people, just one single church, five to 10,000 people. In a situation like that, why aren't we seeing every one of those cities radically changed by that church in that city? I mean, think about it. 250,000 people and you have a church, let's say of 5,000 people. That's a pretty big church. Percentage-wise, they should be able to move everything in that city. The politics, the government, the business. Uh, they should be able to shut down pornography shops, liquor stores, and I'm not talking about because of laws passed, but because of prayers prayed and righteous people standing up. There shouldn't be one uh, um, porno shop in that town, in that city. The economic level should go from poverty to wealth because of God's blessing upon that city, because of his people that are praying and standing. Now, that's what should be happening, but I don't see those things happening. As a matter of fact, in many places, there's a mega church and the city around them is getting worse and worse and worse and worse, falling apart. 
Why? Because unfortunately, many of those mega churches aren't mega spiritual. They're not. It's just more like a big old club that people come to on Sunday instead of a place to come be built up in the power and the presence of God. Right here in my own home city, right here, my own hometown, we're just around uh, maybe a little close to about 200,000 people, uh, give or take. And we have several large churches. When I say large churches, we're talking 1,500 people plus. One extremely large, 5,000, uh, approximately 5,000 people. And you wouldn't know it. Walking through the streets and driving through town, you would not know that we had so many Christians and so many large churches. Because so few of them are actually doing anything to change the community around them. And that's really what the church, the ecclesia, the gathering is supposed to be about. Not just seeing how many people you can get in the building on Sunday. That's good. That's fine. I have no problem with that. God has no problem with that. But once they're in there, are they being trained to go out and change the region around them, the city around them? And unfortunately, at least the ones that I'm familiar with, they are not. They are not. Or they do the old-fashioned, hey, let's just make some sandwiches on Saturday, go feed the homeless and see if we can get a few of them saved. Again, I'm not even opposed to that. But in those types of churches, rarely is that church really doing anything to change those people. And rarely is that church growing because they're out there doing those things. So if we can't get people filled with their sandwich on say Saturday and come to the Lord in a in a um, in a if you will an altar call to to receive the Lord on Saturday as they're eating their peanut butter sandwich, but they can't make it to church on Sunday. Are they really saved? Have we really done them any good? Now, of course, the knee-jerk reaction is, "Well, I'm just being obedient. I'm just doing it." And yes, it's doing good. How do you know? You never know until they're discipled. Now, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because. These are some of the things that we must honestly face for a moment. Take away all the things that we have taught and our feelings and take a hardcore look at number one. Is it in the Bible? Most important. Can you find it in the Bible chapter and verse? Number two, are you doing it exactly the way it's done in the Bible? Number three, is there fruit for your labor? If there's no fruit for your labor, then you need to back up because you missed a point somewhere. You're not doing it the way the Bible said, or you're just not doing what the Bible said. Because if you do it God's way, there's always going to be fruit, positive fruit. Always. Not sometimes. Always. And the fruit of evangelism is not just people coming to the altar and giving a sinner's prayer, but disciples made. And that's the key ingredient that most of us have forgot in the body of Christ, disciples. Anyways, I want to get back to uh, my book, and I'm going to finish up with chapter 3. And this portion I'm going to call, Israel Wants a King. And I'm going to read straight from the book uh, for a few pages, and then talk about it. And this is the portion where Israel asks Samuel to make them a king. 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 9 says, It came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judge over Israel. The name of the firstborn was Joel. The name of the second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. 
But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice, however you shall solemnly forewarn them, and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. We found that the transition from Eli to Samuel was set off primarily by Eli's failure as a father. The things that caused him to fail as a father also caused him to fail as a high priest. Samuel was a prophet that was righteous in his prophetic office, but he was a weak parent. Samuel's son turned out like Eli's sons. His sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, perverted justice. The fear of the Lord was present with Samuel regarding his prophetic gift and office, but not as a father. What Samuel exercised in the spirit, he could not seem to master in the natural regarding his children. This is a huge problem in the church today. Many churches, church leaders are raising children that would fit the description of Hophni, Phinehas, Joel, and Abijah. Many are failing regarding their parenting, even though their ministries seem healthy and intact. It is a sad truth, but many children feel abandoned by their parents that are in ministry. And this is particularly the case with the men in ministry. Many wives have been abandoned by husbands that are quick to run off to people in need, never seeming to care that they are leaving their family in need. A pastor once stepped into the pulpit of his church and proceeded to tell his congregation that he was resigning from his position as pastor of the church. He told the congregation that he was resigning because he had had an affair. After the gasps, the angry and nervous stares, and the murmuring begins, he proceeded to tell the church that he did not have an affair with another woman, but with them, the church. Now, of course, everyone was scratching their head and wondering what he meant as if it was a joke, but sadly it was no joke at all. The pastor went on to share how he had spent so much time at the church and with the people of the church that he had neglected his wife and children. He explained that his wife had spent many lonely nights waiting for him to come home from his many counseling appointments and hospital visits. The pastor told them that his kids had to go with mom alone to their ball games because most of the Saturdays were spent at the church mowing lawns, fixing the plumbing, and doing the administrative work of the church. When he was finished speaking, everyone knew that he was correct. The pastor truly had an affair, and they all needed to repent for it. This pastor walked away from that church so he could get his home and family together. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2-5 through 5 says this, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. 
For if a man does not know how to rule his house, how will he take care of the church of God? It is my prayer that we as the people of God will grow and mature in all aspects. For those of us that are not doing right by our family, we must change the way we do things and stop neglecting our spouses and children or simply get out of the ministry position we presently hold. This will give us the time we need to actually lead our families and it will allow someone else to take our place in the church, someone whose priorities are in order. It's time for those in church leadership to take 1 Timothy 3.5 very seriously. If we cannot rule over our own home, then how can we take care of God's home? We cannot rule our home correctly if we are absent. Samuel was a fantastic prophet, but a terrible father. Why was he such a bad parent? He obtained his parental skills from watching Eli. This shows that we must break the negative things in our generation so that it is not passed on to the next generation. If we do not take care of our weaknesses and failures today, our children may make the same mistakes. Not only that, but it can't be passed to our grandchildren and great-grandchildren as well. Someone must break the negative patterns before it is passed on to future generations. The next generation should inherit blessings from the previous generation, never curses. Had Samuel recognized what caused Eli's sons to become wicked, he may have raised his sons differently. Eli's weakness as a father led the people of Israel to abhor the offering of the Lord. Samuel's weakness as a father caused the people of Israel to want a king to judge us like all the nations. The people of Israel wanted to change in the governmental structure of the nation because Samuel followed in the footsteps of Eli in his parenting. No longer did the people want God as their king, but they wanted to lower themselves to the level of the nations around them. This decision is traced back, directly back to Samuel's parenting skills. Joel and Abijah could have been removed as judges at any time by Samuel, but he neglected his duties as, as the premier judge and as a father. Now the people want to remove God's governmental system and replace it with a worldly system, all because of the weak parenting skills of one man. And again, that is from my book, A Time for Transitions. It's interesting when we watch this, the, the, the failed and weak parenting of Eli was picked up by Samuel. Samuel was a phenomenal, right on, powerful prophet and judge for the nation, but a terrible father because he learned his fathering from Eli. So that was, in a sense, a generational curse that was passed from Eli to Samuel. And Samuel's children, his two sons, ended up the same way as Eli's two sons. And it causes the people to want something that God never really wanted for them. In Eli's case, with his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, the people began to abhor the sacrifices or the offerings, the very things that brought God and the people together in relationship. Now, under Samuel, with his two sons being uh, wicked uh, judges, the people now say, we don't want you or your sons to rule over us like that, where ultimately God was the king, Samuel and his sons were the judges. They said, no, we want to be like other nations. We want a king like other nations. You see, that's, that's a tragedy in many cases because God had already said in his word that his people, Israel, his people, were to be a special treasure, a special people to him. 
and not just to him, but among the nations. And they were supposed to be the head, not the tail. They were supposed to be above and not beneath. They were supposed to be the ones that were so blessed, it caused jealousy of the other peoples and caused, it should have caused them to want to come to this God that Israel served because of the blessing that God gave to his people. But here we find them saying, we don't want to be that special treasure. We don't want to be the head. We don't want to be above. We just want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. You see, that's what weak leadership does. It breaks down the reality that you and I are something better and something different. I couldn't tell you how many times over the years I've heard people say, Christians say this, or even from the pulpit, we're no different than the world. Or we're no better than the world. We're just like them. Well, I look in the scriptures and I find something completely different. I don't know about you, but I'm ahead I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above, not beneath. I am a special treasure unto my God. He has told me that I am a king and I am a priest. There is nothing normal about me. There is nothing mediocre about me except what I allow. And I refuse to be that weak leadership. I refuse to have weak leadership, not only over me, but around me. I refuse that weakness because it brings down, it makes us low, and it brings us to the lowest common denominator. I don't know about you, but I want to rise above that so I can give all the people around me, when they look at me, I want them to be jealous and say, what is it about you that's different? I have to have what you have. And I can say, Jesus. But if I'm no different than them, if I'm just on the same level as them, if I have the same struggles as them, if, I, if my life is going as good or as bad as them, I have nothing, nothing to show off to them, nothing for them to say, I want what you have. See, I could tell them about Jesus till I'm blue in the face, but if I can't prove that living for Jesus does something better for you, gives you more, leads you further, then what do we really have? And I'll be honest with you, I, I really struggle with that because I wonder, do we, when you know, those of us among us who are just like everybody else, but they say they have Jesus, do they? Because when I read in the scriptures, having Christ takes you above, not below. It launches you forward. It doesn't hold you back. You are a king and a priest unto God because you've been washed in the blood of Jesus. So if we're not walking as kings and living as kings and walking as priests and living as priests, I wonder, do we really have Jesus? Recently in the church, the uh, topic of people in need came up. And I know I'm going to say something and somebody's going to get upset. There's a passage in the Bible that says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Meaning, I've never seen a man or woman of God forsaken by God or their children begging, needing to beg for bread just to fill their mouth. Now, please don't misunderstand me because we are hated by the world and we are hated by the devil. And he's going to try to do everything to knock us off our donkeys and take what we have. But one thing is for sure, the child of God that not only is only saved, but filled with the Holy Spirit and obedient to the word of God will never be forsaken and never need to beg bread. 
because God will take care of them. I'm not saying they'll always be in the highest of heights because sometimes there's a struggle that we must overcome so God can put us on top. But the simplest things, being forsaken and your food, you'll never be forsaken, you'll never beg for bread. So when I see Christians and people that claim to be Christians, hey, I, you know, uh, we have no money for this, we have no money for that, and this, that, and they always seem like, I don't mean momentarily, but always seem like they're going through something. I, I remember years ago, there was somebody in the church that was like that, always going through something, always losing their job, always on the verge of losing their home, always on the verge of having their power cut off, always needing help. And I'm never opposed to helping people, especially the brethren. But finally, I sat down with the, with the gentleman. I says, listen, what's going on? Because you're always in this situation. And the Bible says, never seen the righteous forsaken, never seen his seed begging for bread. And you're living as though you're forsaking and you're always begging bread. So what's going on? What's really going on? You know, I actually led that person into salvation because I told him, I said, I don't even know that you're saved because look at what the word of God says. And it's so different than the way you are living. So let's start at square one and get you saved. And let's walk you through and start discipling you and teaching you the word of God. You know, that person didn't stick around the church too long. And honestly, I don't know why, but honestly, I feel like they got found out. And they just moved on to another church, another place that will just hand them money and hand them things without actually needing to get a job and work for it. Back to chapter three. We've got to understand that pastors, especially and leaders, what we do in our life, in our home, even behind closed doors, will have ramifications, will bless or curse those around us, will bless or curse the church. And a lot of people say, listen, I got 500 people in my church. I'm blessed. They're blessed. We're okay. Listen, when you stand before God, God's not going to care how many people you got through the door. Is how many people did you truly disciple and change? How many lives were changed in your church under your care? So if you can't even take care of your family, you can't take care of your wife, you can't take care of your children, correctly, you're not taking care of the house of God or the people of God. You just can't. It can't work that way. The story that I read in, this, in my book about this pastor that said he had an affair, that's a true story. I did not make that up. Pastor stepped down from the pulpit and resigned his position at a church because he said he had an affair. And the affair was with the church. Because the people of the church, they just didn't want to step up and help take care of such things like the plumbing and mowing the lawn and doing the bulletin. And they all expected him. If they went to the hospital or they needed something, they expected him. Not a, an associate pastor, not an elder, not somebody else in the church. They expected him to show up. Well, that kind of pressure put on when he when he gives into it, of course, his whole family started falling apart because dad wasn't there, husband wasn't there. He was off with other people taking care of their wants and needs, neglecting his own family. This type of thing happens so often in the body of Christ. And honestly, again, it's disgusting. It really is disgusting. Number one, people... Stop expect just because you call him pastor, stop expecting him to bow down and kiss your feet every time you think you need something. Blow your own nose, cut your own food, fix your own bottle, change your own diapers. Come on. If you ever go to the church grounds and you see that head pastor mowing the lawn, and I uh, 
appreciate pastors and church leaders that are willing to get their hands dirty. I appreciate that. But at the same time, he is one man and he has to take care of all the people in the church. And you guys know whether or not he or she is lazy. And if you go to the church and you know your pastor is not a lazy person, but he's out there mowing the lawn when he should be in there praying for you and studying the word, but he's mowing the lawn or fixing the plumbing, how dare you? You know, usually I'm on the side of the church people um, defending them from abusive pastors, but sometimes the table is flipped because it's the people that are abusing their pastors. And in this case, like with this gentleman, the people in a big way were abusing their pastor. He shouldn't be out there mowing the lawn or fixing the plumbing. He shouldn't be out every night counseling and visiting people in the hospital. Don't get me wrong. Everybody that goes to the hospital needs to be visited, but it doesn't have to be the head pastor. It could be one of the elders at the church, one of the small group leaders, one of the prayer leaders, one of the associates. There should be a whole team of people that could take care of that so no one person gets burned out or no one family gets destroyed because dad is always gone. And I've seen that too many times. Matter of fact, that happened early in my uh, ministry. My wife and I, when we were first married, we were all already in ministry and we had we were so strapped on time and we were always constantly burnt out and we were newlyweds. We should have just been focusing on one another and yet we were focused on everything else. So I actually went to the pastor of my church and said, listen, I'm having problems at home. We're newlyweds. I need to step down from my positions and give, give myself at least a year to be alone with my wife and, and grow in there. And he says, no, you're feeling this way. This is what he actually said. You're feeling this way because you don't do enough for the Lord. Now, granted, I was at the church six days out of seven and working a full-time job an hour away from my house. So I'd get up early in the morning, go to work, come home in the early evening, take a shower, gobble down some food, and then go to the church or some church function. Six days a week. We did that, both my wife and I. No wonder we were burned out. And then the pastor has the nerve to tell me that I'm not doing enough. That's why my, my marriage is falling apart. That's why I'm stressed, because I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. That's when the pastors and the leaders and the church workers are abused. And yes, that happens as well. And I'll flip those tables as well. And again, in that sense, it's, it came from, again, weak leadership over me. So what am I talking about in this? When the people start wanting to be just like everybody else, when wanting a king and just be like everybody else and that worldliness comes in, I'm not even going to say great sin necessarily, just that worldly carnal thing. They no longer want to press in to the deeper things of God. They no longer want the deeper things of the spirit. They just want to be like everybody else and be comfortable. That's when people start complaining more about how comfortable the pews are or how long the service is or how cold the AC is than anything else because that's what they focus on. Why? Because any good businesses know you have to have comfortable chairs, a good AC, nice heating system, comfortable carpet, and make it pleasant. You see, when people start focusing on that, we know we've done something wrong, pastors. We've done something wrong, church leaders. We've made the people want and desire that just that normal, carnal, fleshly creature comforts now in the house of God when we should be focusing on our relationship with God and getting into the deep things of the Spirit. 
So please, in that sense, don't be like Samuel. Be like Samuel in regard to the prophetic gift, but not his fathering parenting gifts. It's time to get the Eli's, the Hophni's, the Phineas's, the Joel's, and the Abijah's settled and out of the church world to focus on the good things of the Samuel's and grow from there. Break off those generational curses. You say, well, you know, I just, that's all I know. Well, then go know something else. Pick up a book and read it and start doing something else that will lead to a healthy home, healthy marriage, healthy home, and a healthy church. We owe it to God. We owe it to his people. Thank you for joining us here at Table Flippers. I would love to hear from you. You can find my contact information at www.gwcclancaster.org. That's gwcclancaster.org. Please let us know how we are doing. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and comments. Have a fantastic day.